gladsome light of the holy glory of the immortal Father, heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ, now that we have come to the setting of the sun, and behold the light of evening, we praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For me it is at all times to worship you with voices of praise, O Son of God and Giver of life. Therefore all the world glorifies you. Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our episode on the biblical foundations for O Gladsome Light, the central hymn of Vespers. So, obviously, Father Jeffrey, the big theme in this, uh, in this hymn is light, light and light. And, Mm -hmm. uh, before we started, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I was, I was going through all of the, uh, I, I was going through a lot of the different references to light in the scriptures. And you said, Oh, were you able to find any? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm slightly afraid that our whole podcast series is going to be derailed now because we can spend the rest of eternity talking about light. It does feature rather prominently in Orthodox spiritual tradition. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it also features in our daily life, like, like ever everything. Like we see with our eyes and, and, and light is one of the central aspects of being able to um, kind of function in our world. So um, I, no wonder it's, it was such a key theme that the scriptural writers picked up on in terms of talking about God and, and our relationship with the creator. Yeah. I mean, we could spend a lot of time just talking about light as a metaphor, you know, and, and how it, it really does, as you say, kind of give shape and definition and reality to everything around us, because without it, we wouldn't experience very much. But it also has this kind of, you know, elusive quality to it. You know, we see with it, but we don't see it as such, right? It's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that I think plays on many different levels about the, the kind of metaphor or symbol for the whole of spiritual reality, the reality of heaven that is meant to interlock and overlap with earth and our reality and, and so forth. So, it, it, and it's fascinating, of course, if, even to explore it from a, a physical or physics, you know, point of view. And so much of modern contemporary physics will stake its claim on the basis of, of, of light being the foundation of, of everything. So it's a fascinating area of study anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think we should just dive right into it. Uh, 
the first reference that obviously comes to people's mind when you talk about light in the Bible, a lot of people just know this expression, even if they don't know that it's from the Bible, but it's from the creation account in Genesis chapter one. So the very first couple sentences in the Bible. So I thought maybe I would just read those, that first stanza of that epic poem. And then we could uh, chat about how light works in that, uh, in that section. Does that sound good? Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So on immediately, on first blush, it seems that this is a reference to, you know, it, without any prior knowledge to how some of this poetry works, it seems that this is just a reference to the light of day and the light of night and maybe the sun and the moon. Um, I, I know that it's a bit deeper than that, but I was wondering if I could just get your take on on what light, what is this light that God has created? Well, I mean, you're quite right. I, the the very passage culminates with you know the the reference to day and, and to night and everything. Although the interesting thing about it, of course, is that the sun and the moon aren't created until later. So maybe there's something at stake here that's a little bit more fundamental than simply our experience of the astronomical you know, passing of time and so forth, the, you know, the rotation of the earth around the sun, the, 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 the spinning of, of the earth that, that creates the phenomena that we know as, as night and day and the seasons and, and so forth. So maybe there's something kind of etched into the foundations of reality that goes beyond that, that, that in, in some senses, our experience of nighttime and of daytime participate in. If you know what I mean, so the there mm. is the there's the scientific reality and the the day to day experience that we have of of light and darkness and and so forth, but that actually these represent or point to something even more fundamental, which is this kind of primordial separation of light and dark. And we spoke earlier, I think, when we were talking about Psalm 103, that glorious hymn of creation that we have at the beginning of Vespers and, and how creation is almost a series of separations, right? And, you know, the, the waters from the earth and so forth, and God creating that safe place in which his creation can thrive and move you know, ultimately towards the goal of the kingdom of, of participating in the fullness of the glory of God. And so one of those separations that you just read there was about light from dark. And in some ways that is, it's primary uh, in, in all of creation. It's, it's the, the beginning point of, of creation. The very first words are those famous fiat lux, right? I mean, let there be light. And, you know, from that, all of the rest of reality unfolds. And so when we experience the kind of cycle of the, of, of the years, of the seasons, and, and even of that daily cycle of 
passage from light to dark and then back to light again, which ultimately is the kind of dominant theme of the liturgy of the hours, you know, in the whole vigil service of, of the Vespers into Matins. It's all about the disappearance of the light, the, the appearance of the evening lamp, which is Christ, which we're going to be focusing on in this hymn of O Gladsome Light, but then all culminating with the great doxology as the light returns and so forth. So all of that celebration of the kind of ordinariness of daytime and nighttime is somehow representative or symbolic of this kind of more foundational creational reality of God separating light from dark and creating a space for his creation to to move towards him to to experience him as light to experience his glory his kingdom his grace as this kind of uh, overwhelming uh, experience of of lightness and uh, and th- and that is you know really quite powerful in those opening verses of genesis yeah a central kind of imagination or uh, an imagine an imaginative uh, stance to have in your head when you're reading lots of this poetry and and the scriptures is is talking precisely about that separation motif is that the in in the Hebrew mindset as far as I understand it Father Jeffrey uh, would be that you know sort of under normal circumstances, everything would just be formless and darkness and void, right? It would just be the soup of chaos or the soup of, I don't know, nothingness or whatever it might be. And then um, there's this little uh, separation that opens up that God says, no, in this spot, there will be things, right? Mm. And he's, he, he almost puts both his hands into that soup and separates them right and pulls apart and in that space in that void uh, within the void he creates right so the first thing he does is is light and dark um and then and then i think also in the in the hebrew scriptures especially when you think of things like noah's ark and stuff um when you get the flood coming in that's that's this story of that chaos re-entering into that space that god has separated um I'm not sure if that's a useful uh I've found that useful to to understand it that way. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean I think one of the ways to express that is to just ask the question, you know, what would life be like without God? Right? Um and the the Hebrew answer to that question is exactly what you said, you know, it's chaos, it's darkness, it's destruction, it's unpredictability, it's, you know, capriciousness. Um, you know, the, and remember the, in the ancient Near East, I mean, how were the gods or how was the divine realm experienced by people? If you read the stories of, you know, the, the ancient gods of, uh, of, of Egypt or Sumer, or, you know, the Akkadians, all that, these early civilizations and so forth, I mean, the, the overwhelming story there is one of chaos. <laughs> you know, the life is pretty crappy because you cannot count on one thing from one moment to the next because the gods are these capricious, unpredictable forces that that will just 
you know, mess with your lives, you know, in the, uh, you know, version in Sumer of the, uh, you know, the, the story of the great flood, uh, which is a parallel to, to the story of Noah's Ark that you referred to, uh, the gods are actually uh, destroying the earth because, the, you know, they have been disturbed in their sleep by humanity, you know, mm. so it's, it's just a completely arbitrary reason, you know, so the, the world itself is, is just chaotic and dark and unpredictable and malevolent. And, you know, most of the religion around, of, of around the, the Israelites is what you'd call apotropaic, which means, you know, it's about spells and amulets and things to ward off all of that. Well, mm-hmm. the Israelite answer to that, you know, the, the Hebrew scriptures answer to that is that actually in the midst of everything you might experience as chaos and darkness and, and, you know, unpredictability and, and, and anxiety and so forth is that there is a creator God who cares so much about us that he is ordering things, that he is, as you say, reaching with both hands into that primordial soup and and separating things out to make a safe place for people to grow and thrive and move towards him in love and ultimately experience something beautiful in the divine. So if the divinities all around them were about, you know, chaos and terror for the for the Hebrew mindset. No, God is actually the one who's trying to put this right. And if we cooperate with that and move towards that light and this you know and the dry land, remember the sea also is 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 something that's separated from from the dry land. And in the Hebrew mm-hmm. mindset, you don't go anywhere near the sea, right? Mm-hmm. It's just terror, terrifying. Um, and so all those separations are about, you know, Precisely, God creating a space for us to be, you know, in this beautiful, ordered uh, reality that that He's setting out for us. Hence, the beginning of Esper's with Psalm one hundred three, with with that just beautiful depiction. You know, where we said earlier that you know even the waters obey because the waters are being put to productive use, right? Because they're they're watering that all of creation and providing for people to to be able to live. Now, whether that was the ultimate reality people experience, you know, we can't imagine the day-to-day life of an ancient Israelite being terribly different from their neighbors. But how marvelous is it that at the heart of that daily grind and experience and and anxiety they were able to express such faithfulness in a god of order who separates light from dark and makes it possible for us to to live towards him Mm -hmm. the well let's maybe jump over to psalm 103 then uh which is of course another uh poem of of creation in that first stanza we don't have to kind of recount exactly what if you want to hear more of us talking about Psalm 103 you can go back to one of our first episodes Uh, but in this first stanza we have bless the Lord O my soul O Lord my God you are very great you are clothed with honor and majesty wrapped in light as a garment Mm -hmm. yeah so God himself is depicted as light he's not just that light comes from god or god, or, or light is that experience through which we can get to god but god himself is revealed um in light form and that's going to you know be a, a theme throughout you know the scriptures whether it's in the the old testament you know scriptures the hebrew scriptures or once we get even to the new testament of course this revelation of the incarnate god 
in light, you know, and even the transfiguration and the, the light of the resurrection and St. Paul's experience on the road to, to, to Damascus as this blinding light and, and so forth. So that God himself is experienced as light and manifested, you know, as light, it becomes this kind of ongoing theme. And it's synonymous here, you know, with the honor and the majesty, with the glory, with the grace, with the with the the shekhinah, that 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 glory of God that 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 comes and and surrounds you know the the tabernacle in the wilderness and ultimately the temple of of Solomon. Um, the, and so, light itself is is conceived as somehow uh, God bearing, right? And and to the point where you know by the time we get to the you know patristic tradition the, the fathers will talk about the uncreated light how fascinating is mm. that right you know mm. you know you started this discussion by talking about the creation of light well there is even uncreated light you know imagine that and that we can experience that directly is one of the insights from the you know hesychastic uh, spiritual tradition of the christian east and and becomes a great source of of debate at the time of saint gregory palamas and so forth but you know you know, from a dogmatic point of view, we 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 place this uh, emphasis on God revealed as light, including in an uncreated form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another psalm that speaks about light. I mean, there are so many, uh, but if we look at Psalm uh, twenty-six, this is the psalm that we actually sing in antiphonal, uh, called in response fashion. Um, at baptisms. Mm-hmm. So the, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right. And, and now we're, we're starting to, uh, d- you know, we're starting to see how the development of this uh, motif of light being connected with salvation itself. Right. Right. And, and again, by contrast with the cultures around, right, um, which were cultures completely staked on fear. Right. Fear was the normal way of being as a human being. Right. And so mm-hmm. the best you could do is get hold of the right amulet or potion or, you know, get the right, you know, magician or whoever to kind of ward off all of the dangers um, that surround, whether it was illness or war or famine or, or what have you. You know, th- there was really nothing that you couldn't fear in this world. Mm-hmm. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one, right? And and of course, here the Lord is. I mean, it's the it's the name of God, Yahweh. So we get that, you know, from the through the Greek into Kyrios. We get English. It's all caps, Lord, right? So this is. It's not just some generic power in in the heavens this is the god who revealed himself by name you know to to moses the the god Mm -hmm. who called abraham out of those ancient cultures and said here i'm going to form a people that will not be afraid i mean ultimately to be brought into relationship with the light who is god is to to cast aside all fear and um, and and yeah, absolutely, and, and that's obviously part of what we do when we bring people into the church through baptism. Hence, using this as the the prokemenon, you know, of baptism. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. 
Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. In the Gospel of John, the, the Gospel of John uses the motif of light and darkness uh, throughout, and to great effect. Uh, to to the point that if if you actually follow along that theme of light and dark throughout, and you're reading it, there's the point where Jesus is doing his great teaching at the end. You know, through the later chapters of the of the Gospel before the Passion account, and there's that scene where he says, well, one of you is going to betray me, he says to the apostles. And everyone says, oh, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And um, and eventually Jesus tells Judas, go do what you have to do. And when, Je- oh, when Judas gets up and leaves, he leaves the door. And in John's gospel, it says it was night, hmm. right? It He opens the door into dark. Like there's nothing but darkness out there. And he actually walks out into the dark, Judas does. Um, which that's quite a, if you've been following that motif of light and darkness in the gospel of John, it's actually quite a, quite a narrative um, uh, flair that you, you should kind of be taken aback by him walking into the darkness. You can almost see him fading away into that darkness, being enveloped by it. Right. And of course, in, in the gospel of John, the entire incarnation uh, which culminates and is centered on the cross and the glorification, the illumination of of the world, you know, through the cross. I mean, it's all presented as the light that comes into the darkness, and the darkness mm-hmm. is directly associated with the world. This this present age, which is passing away, and this this present age has its own powers and authorities and purposes, and in in place of it and overlapping for now with it is the new age and your choice. I mean, as you've starkly, you know, told through that story there of Judas, the choice is which age do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the age of the light that has come into the world that the darkness will not overcome? Or do you want to consign yourself still to that darkness? And and Jesus over and over makes clear that contrast between the light and the dark. And he, he says, I am the light, you know, and so uh, of the world, you know, so it, it's not like of another world or you have to leave here to go to it. But this is a, the new kingdom, the new creation enters into this world of darkness. And, and therefore, in the Hebrew understanding of all those things, we've just just talked about of of chaos of fear of anxiety of of death and so forth right so all of that's mm-hmm. implied by that darkness in, yeah. or you have the choice of the light and interestingly of course the gospel of john is famous for not having a transfiguration account so that's mm, that yeah. same story is told in the synoptic gospels you know through the 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 manifestation of of jesus in his 
uncreated light on Mount Tabor and the transfiguration and so forth. Well, it's, it's just distributed throughout the entire gospel of John. The entire thing is the transfiguration account because our Lord is depicted as this figure of light who enters the world, who calls people to this new, new way of being, leaving aside the, the, the passing away powers of this age and Entering into the relationship with with God, and uh, you know the the gospel writer of John goes on to write epistles, right? And and he writes, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light, and He is in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us all from sin beautiful expression of what it means to to live in the light and not in the dark. And that's the stark, stark choice that's given to us in the gospel of, of John. Mm-hmm. I'm struck actually that the first couple verses of the gospel of John, I mean, I obviously knew that there was a connection with Genesis 1, uh, the creation account in Genesis 1. Um, but here we have the reference obviously to the word of God in John 1, 1. And then the first thing that John talks about is actually the light, which is actually the first thing that God creates in Genesis 1-1. So I'll, I'll read the first uh, handful of verses from John 1-1, so that, from John 1, verse 1 to 9, so that we can all stay up to date here. Mm-hmm. So here it is. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him... Not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. That really uh, sets the stage uh, for the beginning of John's gospel there. Mm-hmm. And also for the hymn that we're going to eventually be talking about, right? Um, that is true, the, yeah. The, the true light that enlightens everyone coming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that this is actually the very theology behind that hymn. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it connects us right back to Genesis and makes sense of what we were talking about, the, this creation of, of light in separating it from the darkness in, in a way that transcends our simple physical experience of light and dark, because that, of course, is connected with things like you know, stars and, and moons and, and, and things like that, which come later in the creation account. So what is it that's, that is this kind of more fundamental aspect of light and it turns out that it has something to do with the 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 very purpose of creation and of god entering into it again to use that beautiful image that you had of the the two hands well now it's not just two hands it's two two feet and two eyes and a nose and a mouth in the person of god himself who plunges himself into creation in order to bring that light and that's to separate light from dark to to recreate and bring all into the light of his glory. I think it'd be worth talking a little bit about the fact that light and darkness are, at least in the way that John frames them up, is not, they are not equal in opposite powers. 
right? L- the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Mm-hmm. So what's being done there kind of theologically in terms of light and darkness? Because we know, like, night and day, obviously, the, the light leaves and the darkness does, in a sense, overcome the light. But John is saying the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Can you talk a bit more about the relationship, I guess, theologically, between light and darkness not being equal in, in this sense? Yeah, because you're quite right. It, it's not at all evident, you know, from our experience of the world that they wouldn't be sort of equal and opposite. And there are plenty of, you know, religious traditions that are staked on a kind of equality between the two, um, you know, around the time of, you know, the, the kind of pulling together of the scriptures in the, in the post exile, you know, period and everything, there emerges in the ancient Near East, the, the religion of Zoroastrianism, right? Um, which if you want to know more about, you can find its modern expression in the Star Wars movies <laughs> because they're, you know, the, the whole theology of the, the light side and the dark side of, of the force and so forth kind of comes out of this idea of, um, you know, equal and opposite light and dark powers that are kind of intention in balance and the whole of the, of the universe is ultimately in harmony when you, you get that, that kind of just right. And as I say, refer yourself to the Star Wars films for, for some further elaboration of that. Um, and of course that would, would have been hugely influential throughout the world where our Lord, you know, enters and so forth. And so, you know, the very early church has to contend with people who thought in these ways and, and the, the Gnostics, uh, which emerge easily within the first century, right? Who were maybe, you know, Christians of a kind, but, you know, had certainly uh, adopted a lot of the the thinking of Zoroastrianism or other religions that had equal light and dark, or, you know, the kind of God of the New Testament versus the God of the Old Testament was another way that that manifested itself in in the early church. Uh, But of course, Orthodox Christians had nothing to do with that. And in a way, the whole Gospel of John is written to counteract that way of thinking. And in fact, it, it actually appropriates some of the same language that those you know, groups would have been using, words like logos and, and, and so forth, and light and dark and so forth, but specifically makes the point over and over again, as you say, that the light is the all-powerful force, that the darkness is being... You know, eradicated by you know the, the the light will prevail and you know darkness ultimately is nothing more than what those those first verses of genesis indicated it's chaos it's void it's it's absence of god the light is where we go to find god's grace and love and the new creation that our lord has brought by coming into the world to enlighten the world Mm-hmm. There's one more biblical passage that I want to look up for our conversation today, and it's from the Song of Isaiah, which is, uh, for those uh, keeping track at home, it's from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 9 to 21. I want to focus just on the first uh, verse or two here. So this is uh, a poem in the book of Isaiah that some of our listeners might actually be familiar with a handful of verses because if you ever attend some of the bridegroom matins on Holy Week, the week before the uh, 
the, the week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of, of Christ. Um, or if you even come to the 12 Passion Gospel service on Thursday evening, which is actually a matin service. It's actually a morning service, but it's pushed back so much that we serve it the evening before that these there are verses from this song that are actually chanted with the refrain of Alleluia. So people might actually recognize this. Um, but here, here it goes. This is the first verse here. My spirit rises early in the morning to you, O God, for your commandments are a light upon the earth. This, this has been made so much of uh, in Orthodox hymnography. Uh, the Song of Isaiah is the fifth uh, canticle that is used in the creation of odes, um, the poetic form of uh, one of the poetic forms of hymnography in the church, uh, which is done at matins, which we're not talking about right now because we're talking about vespers. We'll get there. <laughs> well, eventually, <laughs> next year, two years from now, you know. Uh, actually, we're blazing through this pretty good. So yeah, my spirit rises early in the morning to you, O God, for your commandments are light upon the earth. Packed in there is this beautiful image of, well, first of all, in ideally, you would be actually saying this in the morning. And, you know, my spirit rises early in the morning. And then it says, for your commandments are a light. And the commandments is being compared to the sun here, right? The sun is rising. And because of the sun rising and shining light on the world, that light that shines on the world, that makes you be able to perceive the world and to be able to function in it. So this in, in poetic fashion here, Isaiah is saying, God's commandments are the light through which we can actually function appropriately in the world. That's right. I mean, it is the, the law which ultimately will find its fullest expression in the incarnation of Christ, right? So the Torah will be fulfilled in God himself coming and living as a human being, but that law itself is a light. And you can find that motif, you know, right throughout uh, the Old Testament, particularly in in the, that beautiful and the, the lengthiest of the Psalms, um, Psalm 118 or 119 in the Hebrew, which is all about what it's like to follow God's path of righteousness, which is a light. It's a light to our path. It, our path is a path of light if we do what God um, calls us to do. Interestingly, you know, you read that um, selection from Isaiah there in the Septuagint. It, that contrast is between the dark and the light is even more at play because I think you read my spirit rises early in the morning, but in the Septuagint it says my soul yearns for you in the night. Right, so there's the darkness, and what comes out of that is. The, the the light of God that 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 enters into that darkness and guides us to communion with Him into the covenant faithfulness that is represented by keeping the law and 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 living righteously and doing God's will within the created order as light comes and and fills the darkness and um, you know I think again we'll get to this when we talk about matins and so forth but when we hear canons and you know you hear each ode you know rolling through it's always if you, if you know the 
the right kind of clues for each of the odes, um, you know where you are. So if you're, if you're, if you're talking about, you know, being in the depths or in the abyss or something like that, you're, you're talking about the, the, the story of Jonah, which underlies, you know, that, that ode. But when you get to the ones based on this, on this canticle of Isaiah, it's always this play between dark and light. Right? There's always some reference to to God as light or to to the particular feast being celebrated as light um, and so forth. And so you kind of you can situate yourself within the canonical you know framework based on you know the, that specifically that symbol of of the light that comes in the darkness. You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word-of-mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.